You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids and Client Service Manager Mackenzie Brown talk about how you can get the most out of influencer marketing in 2023. Okay, great. So let's go ahead and get started here. I'm just opening up our questions. So Mackenzie and I actually had a lot of questions come in and we prepared a few different examples just to kick things off. So the first thing I thought we would talk about today is how TikTok has really taken a big role in influencer marketing. And I know we got a lot of questions on the B2B side. I promise you we will get into B2B marketing. So let's kick off with a story that I want to share about TikTok. So I'm going to get into the B2B side in just a minute. But on the TikTok side, I think there are some interesting examples to share. So one thing I wanted to talk about, if you are got your, your phones, your Androids, your iPhones next to you, go ahead and pull up TikTok and go to the channel Chef Reactions. I'll give you guys a second. So it's Chef Reactions, uh, C-H-E-F Reactions. So Chef Reactions is a TikTok channel that I stumbled upon recently. And if you guys take a look at it right now, you'll notice a few things. A... All of the TikTok content on this channel is just an individual basically commenting on a split screen video that he's watching seemingly in real time. And maybe he's watching in real time, maybe not. But at the end of the day, it's really just somebody commenting in real time on what they're watching. And the interesting thing is that this person has been posting for, I think, less than a year. So in less than a year, they've gone from zero to three million followers on TikTok. And The content has tons of reactions, tons of engagement, and people are really enjoying what this gentleman's putting out. We don't know what his real name is. We don't know where he lives or anything about him. We just know that he's a chef and he reacts. And the content's a little bit salty. Sometimes he uses sarcasm and whatnot. But the reason I wanted to share this, and then Mac is going to share her own example, is because this is a person that you've probably never heard of, but he's making a lot of money on TikTok. He's influencing a lot of people. He just signed to a major Hollywood talent agency that's representing him. And this is an example in the world of TikTok and, of course, Instagram and YouTube of what happens with niche communities. Because you might not think that this person with 3 million followers, you might say, well, that's a big influencer. Well, I bet you most of you had never heard of him. Mac didn't when I mentioned him this morning. So the important thing to understand with influencers is that Size is very relative, and it's very, very likely that the influencer that you know and that you follow might be someone that no one else has ever heard of. And we're seeing that more and more in the world of TikTok. Matt, do you want to talk about your example that you came up with today? Yeah, no. So John and I were chatting earlier this morning just about who's growing, whatever. And a girl that I actually follow and has been really relevant on my For You page is someone by the name of Alex Earl. She's just like a young University of Miami student. She does like online, she does like go to parties and like Coachella and all these crazy cool events. But it always reverts back to her being so relatable and just like basically a girl in her 20s that like has a crazy, like crazy messy room is studying for exams. And like there's one video that you'll see right when you log in. You mentioned the, the channel again, Matt, just so they can go and see her. Yeah, Alex Earl, and she spells it A-X-I-L, and then Earl as is, not... So um, yeah, when you go to her channel, you'll see that she does really relatable 
content and videos and whatnot. And she posts a lot about her like skin and she doesn't have the best skin. And she always goes like social media is fake. So like, don't always believe what you see online. Like the beauty filters off. I don't have like full glam on. So like one of her like major qualities and why people love her and like gravitate towards her is because she shows herself as being like a real human being, not like a sponsored brand post. Like her, her videos too are so funny. Like it's almost like, I kind of like think of it as like your friend Snapchatting you like little like daily vlogs. It's like that, but she's posting it on TikTok. So it's just funny because it's not like a setup like with a tripod or with a a ring light all the time. It's very IRL and it's very relatable content that people love and like gravitate towards too. And when I mentioned her to John, John didn't know know who she was, but she has yeah, she has 5.1 million followers, which is pretty insane and she grew that within like I think a year or so too. Yeah. So a few a few takeaways here that I think are really relevant. So the first one is the content on both these channels that we just mentioned, which are multi-million follower channels, the content is not polished. In fact, it almost goes out of its way to not be polished. In my example of Chef Reactions, he's using a wired AirPod. Like he doesn't even have the AirPods. He used just like the, the old earpods with the wires. He's sitting there, he's always wearing a hat. He's just like looking at a video on the screen. So not polished at all. And he even said, heard him on a podcast, he said, the videos, the TikToks he makes take at the most 15 minutes. That's finding the video to talk about, mm-hmm. recording it, posting it. So yeah. really, really quick. The same with Alex. You'll see she turns off the beauty filters, which are by default on TikTok. She'll actually like, there's one video where she shows you the side of her face where she has a breakout of pimples. So not polished. That's one big theme. Yeah. The second big theme is that even though these people have millions of followers, they are very niche. They're not going to be known by the general public. They're going to be known by the folks who are going to be interested in their products. And the reason is because of the For You page. So on TikTok, that For You page is so finely curated that you're only going to see content that is hyper, you know, that you're hyper interested in, or that at least TikTok thinks you're hyper interested in. And so the content that I see is going to be very different from the content Mackenzie sees and the content all of our coworkers see. And so when we come on, you know, our, our weekly Zoom calls to just to do company updates, I might say, hey, have you guys seen this person? And no one knows who I'm talking about, even though they've been flooding my feed for the last week and a half. So mm-hmm. those are a couple big takeaways just from the world of TikTok and, and TikTok influencers. Anything else you want to add there, Mac? No, I think you you it was well said. Yeah. Like just it's just so funny how everyone's for you pages are so curated and like to the point and it's just like oh you haven't heard of alex or like me and some of my friends group are like obsessed with her and then you're like oh you haven't heard of chef reaction i'm like no but it's just it's just those people they're almost like one in the same even though they're totally different just because of the content they publish so yeah are you seeing this q a we just got in so this is it's actually funny so someone just wrote in in our q a not to discredit alex earl but i have friends in common with her and she hired a pr company to blow up her page I'm not surprised at all. Like I, I know lots of these people also. And that actually sort of drives the point home. Even a PR company who knows exactly what they're doing, and in the case of, of uh, Chef Reactions, he has William Morris representing him, but this is what they're intentionally doing. They know what works. And this is what we advise our brands to do also, which is you know they all want to spend huge amounts of money and get the best cameras and you know, Mac and I have a client right now. We're doing a podcast. We, we do a lot of podcasts at Influicity, and they're super focused on like 
the sound quality and making sure there's no static and like get rid of every um and ah. And the reality is that's not what the consumer wants today. They want this raw, unpolished, unvarnished type of access to the people that they're listening to and watching because they don't relate to the movie star, you know, polished on a big screen. That's just not someone that, that, that we relate to today. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Okay, cool. Let's talk a little bit more. Uh, so we'll, we'll leave TikTok right now. If you guys have questions, you want to know more about TikTok influencer marketing, drop them in the Q&A, please. Let's jump over to LinkedIn right now because I know there were a lot of questions around B2B. So we're going to talk about LinkedIn and we're going to talk about Facebook groups in a second also, which is just a huge opportunity. So LinkedIn today is what I think of as like Facebook 2011 when Facebook was like the platform. I might be getting my year wrong, but I think it was like 2011 and even Mm -hmm. before that, where it was like, you got to be on Facebook. All your photos went on Facebook. All your status updates were on Facebook. And of course, that's changed these days. But that's kind of where we are with LinkedIn now. LinkedIn as a platform used to be very much about just like HR updates, self-congratulations because I made the Forbes 30 under 30, like all that kind of stuff, which nobody really cared about other than the person posting. And now it's very much about education, stories, narratives, helpful advice, like legitimately helpful advice, not just a sales message, but like, hey, I'm an expert in this. And here's some great advice for you guys uh, to to know. And not because I'm trying to sell you anything, but because it's, it's truly helpful. So we're seeing a lot of that on LinkedIn. We're doing a lot of that on LinkedIn ourselves and for our clients. And I think that's where there's a big opportunity specifically for B2B brands. We're talking about finance, law, accounting. If you're selling something, if you're selling a service where your primary buyer is a business or a corporate buyer, you need to be doing long-form written content on LinkedIn. A couple more hacks to share here. So it's better if it comes from an individual account, not from a company account. Company account is fine, but you're just going to do better if it's from an individual account because of the way the LinkedIn algorithm works. And the second thing is it needs to be interesting and the most sort of the most common way that we that we create interesting content on LinkedIn is we embed whatever advice we're trying to give in a story. So it's much more interesting to say I was talking to my boss today and we got into this. uh, He asked me a question and here's what I told him versus just saying, Hey, here's three things you can do about this. And I've seen really interesting creative posts really focus on that hook, strong hooks Mm -hmm. and, and being able to get information across with an interesting narrative. So on the B2B side, I mean, I could go, I could spend a long time talking about LinkedIn, but ultimately those are sort of the three things. Make it a story, use a strong hook, and if you can, do it from your personal account or a personal account from somebody at the company or an influencer that you hire to talk about your brand. And of course, if you have to do it from the corporate brand or if you happen to have a big corporate page which with you know 100,000 followers, that could work too. But LinkedIn is a place to definitely be doing B2B content on the influencer side. Mac, do you want to talk about Facebook groups? Yeah, for sure. So we just kind of... We actually pitched this yesterday to um, a client. And Facebook groups are super interesting because there's like thousands and thousands of like niche Facebook groups. You can, I feel like you can find anything if you search it in Facebook and click group. There's a group for it. So basically, one way to use these groups 
is to kind of get in there, get the info and kind of look at the moderators of the group. So the admin team, and then kind of get them to post your content and in like engaging conversation around whatever it may be. So your services or product or something like that. And again, keeping in mind, these Facebook groups have like thousands of people in them. So people are always kind of engaging in that conversation. And it's really awesome to see like the threads that are pulled and like the comments that are coming up. And they always end up referencing the product or client that you're going back to. So that's one way going through the moderators. And then another one is having an influencer go in and kind of post, start posting content as well. And again, get the conversation going. Yeah. The, the important thing to understand about Facebook groups is that there are so many of them and they're hyper niche, but they're mm-hmm. also pretty large scale. So to give you an example, like the client we're talking about uh, that Matt talked about, we, we just spoke to them yesterday. They're in the financial world. It's, it's a big bank. And so when trying to sell something like investment advice or ETFs or mutual fund products or anything like that, there are Facebook groups that specifically focus on dividend investing. There are Facebook groups that focus specifically on money management. And we're not talking about 20 people. We're talking about 10,000, 100,000 followers for this one specific account, engaging every day, talking about it. And so the ability to go and either hire that group moderator to be a part of your brand messaging, or to be able to just get yourself into that conversation and get yourself in a position where you can actually talk to the group directly, either yourself or through an influencer that you hire. Those are really, really big opportunities. So thinking through the Facebook groups, I mean, one thing that I that I say is that Facebook as a platform, the problem with Facebook uh, historically has been that it's just very filtered. So if you put something into the newsfeed, it's like maybe 1% or 1.5% of your followers are going to see it. So yeah, great. You have 100,000 people following your page on Facebook, but very few of them are going to see it. Groups doesn't have that problem because groups is essentially a chronological feed. So if you put content out there by someone who has a big audience, again, a third party or the moderator of that very group, that's going to be seen by those people. And it's going to be seen in an environment where they're ready to accept it. So it's like, hey, we're talking about dividend investing, or we're talking about law, or we're talking about accounting, or whatever it is. And you're able to to really get the message across. Some other categories where it works really well. So we just talked about uh, you know B2B categories. It also works in B2C categories, anything where there's really a passion around a subject. So things like parenting, art, travel, movies. So there's all kinds of other areas. I would just encourage you, if you're thinking, if you you know run marketing for a brand that is niche in nature, take a look at Facebook groups. I promise you're going to find probably a half a dozen mm-hmm. that you never would have thought existed. But, but people are really, really into this stuff. Okay. We got a question from Charles asking, how can I reach a niche B2B audience through influencers or, or just more broadly? Uh, niche B2B audiences. So do you want to talk a little bit about podcasts, Mac, which is something that touches on influencer? Obviously, we do a lot of... But podcast is sort of a an influencer platform. Do you want to speak a bit about that? Yeah, no. So lots of our... Po- honestly, lots of our podcast hosts are influencers for the most part or pretty big names in like the entrepreneur sector. But yeah, using them is like obviously great because their platform itself and them pushing their podcasts on it, being the voice in the face of it is super beneficial for promotion. 
I don't know. Do you, sorry, John, do you want to go into like how we like promo plan it or? Yeah. So, <laughs> so well, I guess the idea that podcasts are, I mean, people sort of think of them as sort of closed networks because podcasts are by their nature, they're not open. Mm-hmm. But the thing that you have to understand about podcasts is that A, they're a cult of personality. So whoever your host is, if there's somebody that comes in with an audience to begin with, that's great. And if not, if it's someone at your company, like we're doing a podcast right now with a a software company, a a point of sale software company. And the host of that podcast is, I think, Mac, who is it? Like the GM of innovation? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's an internal host for sure. Yeah, he's something along those lines. But yeah. Um, so he so, has like lots of points of knowledge, obviously, but then he's actually interviewing some bigger names that are almost like influencer statuses that are their clients. So this podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. So the hack here is finding somebody at your brand, whether it's yourself, the CEO, you know, in this case, it's a big company. So it's a general manager of one of the divisions, very charismatic person who also has a lot of, you know, knowledge in, in the subject matter. And someone like that can then interview either its guests, sorry, the guests can be uh, clients, prospective clients are another big one. So people that you want to be working with, other influencers in the industry, Certainly, if it's a, again, if you're a sort of a larger company, it could be CEOs or CMOs or CTOs at, uh, at client companies and using that as an avenue to really build your own vehicle. The nice thing about podcasts is even though it's hard to build up the audience, once you have the audience, they're very sticky and you don't need a very big audience either, especially if you're selling a B2B product. You get a 500 people tuning into your podcast, which isn't that high of a number. And, you know, if you can convert 3% of them, Great, you're making you know a whole lot more than you're spending on that podcast. Do you want to talk, Mac, about this client just just in terms of the process of getting a podcast up and running? Like, what's sort of like the one, two, three steps that we're using to get their podcast up and running? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, ground up, I guess. Post again, like we just said, it's like their podcast. They're the face. They're the voice. So they're pretty much like selling themselves on these podcasts. So. Kind of disgusting. I feel like it's almost like one of the most important things, like distinguishing who your host is and what you want that podcast to say about you. So distinguishing a host is super important. Again, like you said already, influencer hosts are great, but some we've run, run into some troubles with clients that are like, oh, this host posts this and we're not a fan of that. Like we don't want that to be posted or a potential host, I should say. So Definitely getting over some of those speed bumps and making sure their content is aligned with your brand and their messaging is super important, I think. So yeah, once the host is secured, you kind of go from there. We like to really collaborate with our client and even the hosts because they're normally super excited on guests that they like to have on. And it's always awesome to get the host's input on this because lots of these people, they'll, they'll know their friends and that makes the conversation way more interesting, relatable, authentic. So it's nice to get their input on it too. And then, yeah, I guess from there, you just kind of go after it. You set your professional plan. Sorry, go ahead. Are are we typically doing free interviews? Like how how much of the conversation is scripted versus how much of it is like off the cuff? Yeah. So again, this client base, sometimes certain clients are love a good 
template and a script, which is fine because you got to add in some of those lines for them. But we like to do pre-screenings for our guests. And then we like to also provide one sheets is what we call them, which is um, given to the guest and the host, which kind of just gives a quick one over a blurb of like what the guest does, their background, their history, six to eight questions, and then kind of a wrap up recap of an outro. That's kind of like our standard on what we do. But again, this is like, I always call it like it's guidance. Don't follow this. Don't go word for word because we want the conversations to be as authentic as possible. And like you said, like people love the unpolished, uncut content. So that's what we're trying to go for rather than sounding super robotic and scripted. The one sheets are more of like a guidance area rather than a script. And then can you talk a bit about how we're taking the podcast content and translating that to TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and chopping it up for those platforms? Yeah. So we normally like to do audiograms are pretty big, which I'm sure people have seen on socials from some major podcasts. So those are just little snippets of kind of like key pieces or interesting bits, or even like a funny humorous part of a podcast that we convert into an audiogram to be posted. They can be posted basically everywhere on TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Those are like the audiogram, just, just to be clear, the audiogram is like a graphic of a sound wave, basically. Sound there are wave. words on the screen and then the voiceover, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's it's different than a TikTok video because there's no actual moving imagery. We also like to do some TikTok style videos, we like to call it. Again, taking a key point of uh, time or information from the podcast. And we'll either put some podcasts like to do video. So the host and the guest speaking. So you can totally do that. And we'll insert little like images, relate relatable images if it's them talking about like a restaurant or something like that. Um, putting in like just kind of relatable in- images of like servers or like line cooks or food or something like that. Those normally range, I'd say not over 30 seconds. And then yeah, just kind of static images. We have some people that like to do kind of professional and just keep it with headshots. So a guest headshot the host headshot and then the title and then a couple quote cards that follow. So those are just little little quotes, again, key pieces that we found interesting or funny or that'll be relatable to the audience. Yeah. And something else that we've been doing recently with our B2B podcasts is turning the podcast into a LinkedIn post. And so the way to do that is... I'll tell you the wrong way to do it and the right way to do it. So the wrong way to do it is to basically transcribe like a paragraph or 30 seconds of the podcast and just paste it on LinkedIn. No one's going to see that. No one's going to care. But taking key points from the podcast, turning it into a really interesting hook, body, and outro, and then teasing people to go check out this podcast, that's something that works really, really well. Telling the story, don't be afraid to sort of give away the story. either. sometimes it's like, you don't want to say anything. So you're just like, Hey, check out the episode on this. Yeah, but if you don't give me anything to begin with, I'm not going to check it out because I don't care enough. A really good example, if you guys are checking... um, I know we have some people on the call that follow me on LinkedIn. But if you don't, go to my LinkedIn, John David's. The most recent post was a podcast that I did with a woman named Manjeet Minhas. And to promote it, we created a post. And you can read the post. It's, It's gone viral on LinkedIn now. So you can sort of... You'll see it's got thousands of likes at this point. And at the end of the of the post, I just say, hey, if you want to hear the whole story, check out the podcast and I tell you what, you know where to get it. So that's a really good example of how to get a podcast. So we have the podcast episode. That's great. That's you know a 45-minute conversation. 
Then we have the LinkedIn post, which is great. That's good for LinkedIn. There's also sound bites. We have audiograms of that that you know have gone on Instagram. Manjeet, in this case, the guest of the podcast, has posted audiograms of, of the podcast. So there's ways to sort of take that one 40-minute conversation and translate it into different bits and bytes of content that can really get your message across. And if you do it right for each platform, again, you'll you'll sort of multiply, you'll, you'll 10x the output of, of what you've done. So let's talk about, Mac, the, um, the stuff that we're doing on Instagram. So let's talk about Instagram. I mean, we talked about TikTok already. How different is an Instagram influencer campaign from a TikTok influencer campaign? Like anything different that we're doing there? A little bit. Again, I feel like Instagram's kind of migrating into TikTok at some points. People always say like, oh, I saw that on TikTok already. I feel like when they send me a reel or something. So I definitely think video content is just kind of the thing now, like static posts and whatnot. They're still around, but just for promotional brand awareness and all that, I still think video content's just growing on Instagram more. So necessarily, like I honestly think it would just be in terms of vetting influencers and getting influencers, just because of TikTok right now and the takeoff, it's just honestly budget for the most part. TikTok influencers tend to be a little more expensive than IG influencers, but IG is still pretty... Pro- like It's still obviously relevant. It just depends on your audience. So I think with certain clients, they love the presence of IG. Sometimes you can even think of it... I don't want to say more professional but than TikTok, but it's just the generations that use it, I guess. They're not posting super like crazy content on Instagram, I feel, rather than TikTok. Sometimes you see some crazy videos on TikTok. So I don't know. It's I feel like Instagram is slowly but surely like it's just the like kind of migrating its TikTok and video content. So I don't see too many differences, but in terms of influencers, I just would say their budget, depending on what platform you want them to post on. Instagram tends to be a little bit on the lower end, but yeah. The difference is so it's funny, there's a couple things there. Instagram is definitely becoming more of a TikTok. However, TikTok is also becoming a bit of an Instagram. They, I don't know if they've launched it or they've announced that they're launching static images now. So you can just mm-hmm. post an image on image. TikTok, which is interesting. I learned that, by the way, off our TikTok. If you're not following Influicity, check out Influicity yeah. because that's where I learned most of my, of my TikTok <laughs> I'm interested stuff to see how that, that turns out for TikTok, like how, yeah. that, how often that will be used. Right. Exactly. Yeah. With influencers, because you know you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Carousels on Instagram are also sort of spiking a little bit in terms of the algorithm likes carousels now. That's where you sort of swipe right on you know five different photos. And then the other thing is that do you want to talk a, a bit, Mac, about the campaign we did with that science company where we had influencers? Or it was not. It was a science math company where we we had influencers talk about this like really scientific type of uh, type of stuff. Because I think it's interesting that that wasn't like a fashion beauty type thing. It was really more mm. of a serious subject. How did you find those influencers and what, what were they talking about? Yeah. So like the one you're referencing to, I think it was mainly like, it was AI. It was something super, super niche that... It was way above was, my head. Yeah. I, I didn't know what they were talking about, but we had our creative brief set for all these influencers and they knew what they were talking about. Yeah. No, it was a TikTok-based campaign. So it was just interesting to see how all of them actually like cuz their content's so like like set to their personalities and whatnot it was interesting to see all the videos and what did well and what 
it was still great content, but some performed a little bit better than others. We found How did you find the influencers though that were able to do like more serious content or were they doing serious content or were they kind of taking a serious subject and making it more funny? I think they were taking a serious subject and almost making it again, like trying to make it as relatable as possible for that person that like maybe just knows the basics. Like it was very like, again, over my head, but the way they laid it out, they tried their best to make it again, relatable, easy to understand, easy to follow. Like some people some of them just talked straight to the camera like this. And then others did like a text instead of a voiceover. And it was interesting because some of the text videos did a little bit better than the voiceover videos of the face one-on-one. Cause I think they had graphics to follow along with the text, if that makes sense. So yeah, no, it, they all worked well. They were like great content. And it was just, it was funny to see that the text ones that you have to read and maybe pause to see some of the imagery did a little bit better, but those also tended to be a little bit on the shorter side. So the talking ones were a little bit longer. So yeah, taking that into consideration. There's one point from that that I want to highlight because it's a, it was an interesting thing that the client was giving us feedback and the feedback was not exactly matching what was going to work. And so in that case, mm-hmm. what was happening was the client wanted certain text to be on screen for like five seconds long enough for you to read the text. But one of the one of the trends or one of the sort of formats on TikTok is, you know, you'll put a bunch of text on screen, leave it there for one second, and then it goes away. But what happens is people go back and they, you know, hit pause, they go back five times, hit pause. So that's just the nature of how you use it. And I don't think it makes sense for a brand manager to sort of try to make the content, oh, but you can't see it. Let's leave it on screen longer. Trust the creator to know what works. And if they're putting it on screen for a second, like they're not dumb. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're, you know, so so that 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 was actually an interesting piece of feedback. The client was really like pushing, pushing, pushing to make these little micro changes, which is probably not what you should do when you're working with a creator. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. It's their page. They know what what works and what performs well and what doesn't. So it's funny that yeah, the edits that come back are kind of funny. And I'm always like, just trust like this is her content, her page. She knows what performs well for her audience. So yeah. So somebody in the Q&A just actually mentioned lemon, I think it's pronounced lemonade, like lemonade, but the number eight, so it's lemon eight, which I've heard of. I'll be honest, I haven't really dug into this. It's an app that was launched, but it's a sister app of TikTok. And this person mentioned, plus TikTok just launched lemonade in the UK and US this month, which is a combo of Instagram and Pinterest. So Taking different form factors and putting them together. This is a brand new app, so it's it's growing quickly. But I have not looked at it myself. Have you heard of this app, Mac? I've heard of it. I haven't really looked into it. I'm interested to see the Pinterest. Pinterest going to make like a comeback potentially in the <laughs> next couple of years. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, the Pinterest format definitely works for certain types of brands. Like if you're selling stuff on Shopify or like e-commerce yeah. type stuff, oh, yeah, Pinterest does work. But it's a platform that we don't talk about too much, just because. Honestly, most clients are not asking for it, but you know, Pinterest, Snapchat, there are opportunities there, but they're just not quite as mainstream. The other thing that I'll mention though is CapCut. So CapCut, which is an app that's used to create content on TikTok, is something that we sort of get asked about a lot because a lot of the content, like we manage a lot of social media channels for our clients. And a lot of the time they'll ask like, 
How are you seeing these trends? Where are these trends coming from? TapCut is a place that a lot of the trends come from as well. And so when you see a, a TikTok trend going viral or you see an influencer doing something and you're like, well, why are they doing that? Or where's that soundbite coming from? It's oftentimes coming from TapCut, which is another app that you, uh, if you haven't seen or checked out, you definitely should because a lot of trends are coming from there. Okay, Mac, let's wrap up talking about a bit more about B2B and just broadening the conversation. So we've talked about TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, podcasts, Facebook groups. We haven't talked about YouTube. Are we seeing much demand on YouTube, whether it's long form or YouTube shorts? Are clients still looking at that as sort of a big avenue? Um, Not as often. I don't really hear the word YouTube being tossed around, except for yesterday, actually, when we had our meeting. We had like a client meeting. And they mentioned that they've been using some YouTube influencers. Just personally, lots of the clients that we've been working with, main focus is Instagram and TikTok. But again, like the short form reels and like the long form videos, I think could be super beneficial for like we have a podcast coming up and I think they're potentially just going to put the footage on YouTube. Um, It's still kind of in the works. But yeah, I'm interested. Like I kind of want to dive a little more into that, like research wise on my end, because I haven't worked with it too much personally, but I think it's going to be... I kind of think it might be upcoming again sort of thing. Like It's always been relevant and it's always been around. It's just a matter of like how to use the features and how to like use the new short form and all that that kind of stuff. So what tends to happen is the video length sort of jumps around. Long form videos are in, then it's short form videos, and it's long form again, then it's short form again. And then the definitions of long form and short form change. So... 10 years ago, three minutes was considered long form and 30 seconds was short form or 10 seconds. And then it became like, no, 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 long form is 10 minutes. And by the way, a a lot of the reasons for this is that the platforms need to figure out how to best monetize. So the reason like YouTube favored, I don't know if they are anymore, but for a long time, they were favoring like the 10 minute video was because they could insert two or three ad breaks in a 10 minute video, whereas they can't insert an ad break at all in a one minute video, and they can only get one pre-roll out of it. So a lot of it is sort of designed around how do we best optimize for, for that kind of thing. And so when you're thinking about long form, short form, like first thing to remember is that there's no right or wrong answer. Like what's good for your brand, if you're doing a podcast, it makes total sense to put the whole podcast on YouTube. If you have a YouTube channel, like put the whole 30-minute podcast on YouTube. Go for it. If you're doing something that you can also chop down into short-form content, YouTube Shorts, TikTok, Instagram Reels. Like that's how you do it. And then when it comes to like, how do we figure out what's best for our brand in each environment? That very much is about is about keeping up with, with what's going on. So like I mentioned CapCut a few minutes ago. CapCut really took off, at least in my world, like maybe four months ago. So we were managing TikTok accounts a year or two ago, and CapCut wasn't even part of the conversation. So a lot of it is like really staying in tune with exactly what's working today, what length of content is working, what platforms are working for what type of you know brand. A lot of the stuff we do today, like what we're talking about now, even LinkedIn, like LinkedIn wasn't a big a big platform two years ago. Twitter, a lot of people have written Twitter off. I wouldn't write Twitter off because there are a lot of categories where Twitter is was still quite influential. And if you put aside a lot of the noise of what's happening, you know, with uh, with Twitter sort of at a high level, like Elon Musk and 
and this and this and this. There are people that use Twitter every day that do not listen to Elon Musk and they don't. And they don't like, uh, you know, pay attention to any of the noise. They're just using Twitter to stay in touch with their community. So I wouldn't write off any platform and I wouldn't sort of back yourself into a corner where you're doing just one or two things. So a few final thoughts I'll just kind of throw out there. So for those who are asking about B2B, I can't emphasize this enough. LinkedIn and Facebook groups is where I'd be paying the most attention to right now, as well as podcasts, which is the other sort of big avenue, not quite influencer, but I'll call it influencer adjacent. Those are my top three for B2B influencer marketing. And then if you're on the B2C side, I'd be looking at short form content on TikTok, Instagram Reels, and YouTube, as well as long form content on YouTube, as well as I think TikTok, they did this, they took it away, but they have up to 10 minute videos now on TikTok. They had it native in the app and then they made it so that you couldn't make it in the app, but that you could make it elsewhere and upload it to the app. So they're sort of playing around with that format. But long form on TikTok, I think is also a place that you could have some serious success. Okay, we will leave it there. We uh, again, we post all this stuff to our TikTok at Influicity and across social media at Influicity is where you can find us. Make sure you're on our email list at Influicity.com. Thank you guys again for joining today and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.